And if the rest of us please could turn on our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, um, page 1151. If you've been here in previous months, you'll know that we've been going through 2 Corinthians. We had a long break over Easter, and then we had various special services going on and different thematic services. I felt right to give a couple of talks on the hope that we have as well. Um, uh, Then we had guest service last week. Uh, But now we come back to 2 Corinthians, and this morning... The plan is to consider uh, verses 12 to, sorry, verses 13 to 15. Um, Paul has been warning the, the believers in Corinth about false teachers, a whole section. This is really part of a whole section which goes from verse, chapter 10, verse 1, really pretty much to the end of the letter. And he's saying to them, look, be careful. There are these false teachers who've come in who, and you're at risk of being led astray by them. And uh, he's, he's in chapter 11, verses 5 to 12, he's had to defend himself against false charges they made. They were saying, oh, this chap's not much of a speaker. And he's had to say to them... Um, Verse, uh, verse 6, even if I am unskilled in speaking, I'm not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we've made this plain to you in all things. He may not be a, a polished orator or very dramatic or entertaining, lots of jokes and all the rest of it, but he does know what he's talking about. He's an apostle. He knew what he's talking about. And then another thing they were saying about Paul, oh, this chap Paul, he doesn't even charge when he preaches. He, he, he offers his... His, his message free of charge. He, he can't be much of a speaker if he can't even charge, can't, can't, can't demand a high fee for, his, for people to come and listen to him. And he says, no, no, no. It's not that I couldn't charge, but he won't charge because he wants to offer the gospel free of charge. He doesn't want to put any hindrance in anybody's way. Well, now in these verses, verses 13 to 15, he turns the table as it were, on his accusers. He's been answering, he's had, he's had to defend himself against the challenges that they make against him, but now he turns the spotlight onto them. And he says, this is, what, this is the problem with them. So let's read these verses and then we will think about them. So verses 13 to 15. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. And so what Paul is doing in this, in this passage is that he is 
basically giving a, a, an expose of these, uh, of these um, false teachers. These false teachers had come into the church in Corinth and they looked so convincing, so persuasive. Quite a few members of the church were taken in by them. But in fact, the reality was that they were deceivers. They were not what it seemed to be. They, were, they claimed to be apostles, but actually their, their claim was false. They, they claimed to be building up the church, but actually they were deceitful workmen. They claimed to be righteous in their behavior, but in fact they were slaves of sin. Now, we don't know exactly what these false teachers were saying. But by the fact that they criticized Paul for being weak physically and ill and persecuted and poor, we can probably safely assume that they were bringing a message saying Christianity is all about being rich and all about being successful and all about being healthy and all about fulfilling your personal ambitions. We don't know that, but it may well be that that was the case. And whatever it was, what we can be sure of is that they were preaching a gospel which was different from what the Apostle Paul had preached. He had preached a message that we're all sinners and we deserve to go to hell and we cannot save ourselves but God has provided a saviour who came into this world and who died on the cross in the place of sinners and was raised again. And if we believe in him, we'll be saved from condemnation and our lives will be changed and we'll become heirs of the glory of God. We may not be rich, happy and healthy in this life, but we may well suffer a great deal in this life. But we will be fabulously rich in the world to come because we will inherit the new heavens and the new earth but these people it seems that their gospel was all about happiness now healing now success now forget the future we know from 1 Corinthians they were saying people were saying oh there's no resurrection it's all now all the blessings of heaven are now and maybe that's what these, these people, these, these, these uh, new teachers were saying. Now, it should be probably pretty obvious to many of us that what Paul is dealing with 
not just in these verses, but in this whole chapter, this whole letter, really, in Second Corinthians, is amazingly relevant to our day and generation. Because today, there are many teachers who claim to be Bible-believing Christians who are saying, we've got a new message. Forget all this traditional Christianity stuff. We've got a new message that God has revealed to us. A message that you can be free from your suffering. You can be healed. You can be rich. You can fulfill your personal dreams and ambitions. And they say what you need to do is you need to make positive affirmations. You need to say to yourself again and again and again, I am rich. I am beautiful. I know that's not very convincing for some of us, but you say it. I'm beautiful. I'm successful. I'm healthy. And you repeat these things again and again and again and again. You make these positive affirmations, they say. And if you make these positive affirmations, they become true for you. It's really a sort of refangled version of the power of positive thinking which was put forward by Norman Vincent Peale back in the, in the, in the sort of earlier years of the 20th century in New York. And it's popularizing and adding to it a sort of, uh, sort of acclaimed supernatural dimension uh, to it. And these people are also saying, these people who bring this new message, they're saying, we are the apostles. We are apostles. We are prophets. We are healers. We have an anointing from God to bring this new message to you. If you want to serve God properly, you must listen to us, they say. They say, you mustn't criticize us. Because the scripture says, touch not the Lord's anointed. If you do criticize us, they say, some of them, the angel of God might come after you and judge you. And so we see then the amazing relevance of uh, this, this book of 2 Corinthians to our time. And that was indeed one reason why I decided to do this series uh, from it. And so we need to listen to what Paul is saying here. We need to listen so that we can be protected from false teachers. Um, this is, you know, it's, it's amazing how far this reach has gone. I mean, um, Josephine, you don't mind me mentioning, I hope, Josephine, that you, mentioned, you sent me a, a video of, of this massive meeting in, in your village back home. This, by this, 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 uh, this preacher, who, who, and so this, this little tiny village in Pakistan, thousands and thousands and thousands of people bust into this village, and this enormous meeting was held on by the, put on by this, this prosperity teacher with, with lights and, and, and loudspeakers, and they just completely invaded the whole place. And it, it's just incredible how how these, these people have gone throughout the whole world bringing this false version of, of Christianity. And so we do need to be aware. But also, um, we need to listen to what the Apostle Paul says because, of course, 
It's easy to point the finger at others. But the same sins that they are guilty of, if we're not careful, we can be guilty of ourselves. So we need to examine ourselves as well. Well, let's, uh, let's then consider these, these verses, and we're divided into three. Uh, first of all, these false teachers falsely claim to have gifts that they did not have. Secondly, they falsely claim to be building the church. Thirdly, they falsely claim to be righteous in their lives. Let's think about these things. First of all, they falsely claim to have gifts that they did not have. Paul says in verse 13, such men are false apostles. False apostles. And then later on in the same verse, he says, they were disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. They claimed to have gifts that they simply did not have. Now, we need to understand who the apostles were. The apostles, we we read about the the appointment of the apostles in Mark chapter 3 in verses 13 and following. And it says there, that Jesus went up on on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons." So Jesus chose these 12 men who are named in the the account there so that they might be the witnesses of everything that he did and said so that there might be a true and faithful record for the church. That's how we have our four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because the writers of those apostles, of those, of those Gospels, either were themselves apostles, Matthew and John were apostles themselves, or they were very closely associated with the apostles. Mark, uh, according to tradition, was, was Peter's interpreter as he went round the Roman Empire, preaching different parts of the Roman Empire. And... Luke, of course, was a very good friend of the Apostle Paul. So, these were the witnesses that we might know what actually happened. Now, then one of the twelve, Judas Iscariot, disqualified himself from being an apostle by betraying Christ and then committing suicide. And then the apostles had to replace Judas, and when they... When they went about this, Peter said, as recorded in Acts chapter 1, verse 22, that in order to fulfill the qualifications of being an apostle, uh, certain things needed to happen. So we read verse, Acts 1, verse 21. It says, So one of the men who, had, who, had, who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us 
beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness of the resurrection. So the apostles were the witnesses of what Jesus did in his earthly ministry and also especially of the resurrection. Now Paul, because he also saw the risen Christ, also qualified to be an apostle, even though he had not been involved in, had not been with Jesus during his earthly ministry. And so he says, 1 Corinthians 9 verse 1, Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? So to be an apostle, you had to have been there and you had to have seen Jesus raised from the dead in the flesh. But these so-called apostles who'd come into the church in Corinth were jolly-come-latelys. They'd not seen the risen Christ. They'd come into the church long after the resurrection. And so George Paul says to them, says about them that they are false apostles. They're not apostles. They're false apostles. Pseudo-apostles. Now today we have, there are many who call themselves apostles. I cannot remember how many times I've had an email saying to me that Apostle so-and-so is going to be holding a convention. It's going to be a mighty spirit-anointed convention. And you need to come to this, uh, this convention in order to get the Holy Spirit. Well, those emails go straight in my delete box. Because if it's Apostle so-and-so who's going to be speaking, well, I know I don't need to turn up. Because I know it's false. And that today there are many churches who call themselves, quotes, apostolic churches. Now, this is a bit crafty, really, because the ancient, one of the ancient creeds says... And many Christians recite this creed in, 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 in many different churches. I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. But when the writers of those creeds wrote the word holy, Catholic, the phrase holy, Catholic, and apostolic church, what they meant was the church that's built upon the foundation of the doctrine that was revealed to the original apostles. And that's built on the foundation of the historical facts of Jesus and his life and death and resurrection as, as declared by the apostles and recorded by the apostles. But when, what these people have done is they've picked up that phrase apostolic church and they said, oh, we're an apostolic church. But by that they mean that they've got an apostle leading their church. So their church is like a pyramid structure with local pastors and then regional pastors and then, and then national pastors and then somewhere at the top of their so-called church is their apostle who is, is masterminding this, this multinational corporation, really, what it is. 
And the Roman Catholic religion, of course, really what these people are really doing is they're reinventing Roman Catholicism because this is exactly what Roman Catholicism does. Roman Catholicism says that Peter was the chief apostle and the church, misquoting what Jesus says in Matthew about how on this rock I will build my church, they say, oh, the church is built upon Peter the apostle and then Peter was, became the first pope and then after that you got another pope and another pope and another pope and another pope and each subsequent pope is, is the chief apostle. It's the, the succession, the, the, the being an apostle is passed down from pope to pope and so that a pope, the pope has got the power according to the Catholic religion to make infallible pronouncements and to reveal new doctrines and once the Pope has said that these new doctrines have been uh, are there, then they are become part of the official doctrine of the Catholic religion. So we see then that there was false uh, claim to spiritual gifting, but it's not just gifting, being the gift of an apostle, is it? There are others who say, "Oh, I'm a prophet. I've got a word from the Lord." But according to scripture, a prophet is somebody who brings an infallible word from God. An infallible word-for-word revelation from God. These people are not bringing infallible revelations from God. They make mistakes. According to scripture, somebody who claims to be a prophet but makes mistakes is a false prophet. And so we need to be on our guard. There are other people who say, ah, oh, God has given me the power to command healing for people. They can rebuke cancer, they say. They can rebuke this illness. They can, they can, they can deal with this illness. And, and that. But do they really have the power to do these things? Do they really command illness? Does, do, do, do illnesses really flee from people's bodies at their command? Or is it just that they... They manufacture pseudo-healings with people who, 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 where, where it's very hard to discern very clearly what is going on. Now, before we move on, as I said, we need to just examine ourselves, don't we? Do we sometimes make false claims of gifting? Do we sometimes say, oh, I led so-and-so to the Lord? When in fact, really, it's not much to do with us at all. Or it's a false profession, turns out to be not really, person not really converted at all. Do we perhaps seek to impress others by talking about long times of prayer, when in fact, half the time we were daydreaming? We must be careful, mustn't we, to, to be those who are truthful. Well then, secondly, false teachers... These false teachers falsely claim to build the church. He says, these men are, verse 13, deceitful workmen. Deceitful workmen. Now, a few weeks ago, there was the the tragedy of the earthquake in Turkey, during which newly constructed blocks of flats, which had been claimed to have been built to the highest 
earthquake-proof standards crumpled like card houses. Some resourceful journalists uh, took photographs of uh, newly constructed blocks of flats, some of which were lying on their side. And then they found on the internet the brochure to persuade people to buy apartments in these flats, which had been built maybe two, three years ago. Built to the highest standards. Earthquake-proof. But then there are those flats lying in ruins. And it would seem that, the appear, that, the, that those who built these flats had not complied with building regulations. And in some cases, it would seem with the connivance of the government. The government would issue amnesties, saying, oh, for this period of time, you don't have to comply. Well, of course, then they don't comply, and then there are this disaster that follows. Well, Paul says similarly, these false teachers are cowboy builders whose spiritual buildings had no foundation and who, which would collapse as soon as put under stress. The Apostle Paul says that any spiritual building that is not based upon the gospel will not survive. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 10, the Apostle says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid the foundation and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no, found, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You've got to build upon the foundation of Christ, on the foundation of the gospel. And you've got to build with true methods, with the word of God and with prayer and with holiness. But these people were, were building using their own techniques. Powers of persuasion, maybe. Manipulation, maybe. They were not building solid lasting gospel churches or church. And so it is today, isn't it? Uh, there are these very big meetings that these so-called healing evangelists put on. A lot of flash, a lot of noise. It makes, it makes, uh, it seems so impressive, doesn't it? But, the, but the, the message that they're preaching is a message, come to Jesus and he will make you rich. Come to Jesus and your dreams will be fulfilled. Come to Jesus, or rather, give money to me, they say, and you'll be happy. Now what happens is, it leads to disillusionment. Because people give their money to these people, do they become richer? No, they become poorer. They go up to the front to get healed. Do they get healed? No. They come back 
not healed. And then they, they, now they've got a problem because they think now they're told, oh, you haven't got enough faith. So now they say, oh, maybe I never had faith. Maybe I was never saved. And then when they're getting to the point where they're dying, rather than preparing themselves for glory and, 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 and peacefully getting ready for that moment where they transition to be in the Lord's presence and thinking, well, just a little while and I'll be with the Lord. There's this terrible battle going on because oh, I'm failing because I should be being healed. No, nothing lasting is built by such doctrine. Or come to, there are other churches, aren't there, which, which are built on the basis of very loud music and you know, lights and smoke and very dramatic presentations and it seems like thousands of people are attending. But there's no message at the core. There's no message very often. You're a sinner. You need to be saved by grace. Only Jesus can save you. It's froth and it's entertaining, but it's not, there's nothing, no substance there. And then when, as eventually happens, some scandal breaks in the leadership, the whole church collapses. It's gone. It's finished. And it's the same with Roman Catholic religion as well, isn't it? The Roman Catholic religion is based upon humans. You have a priest who baptizes your baby. A priest who gives out the first communion. A priest who hears your confessions. A priest who, who gives you absolution. A priest who tells you the penances that you must, that you must do. A priest who gives you the mass. A priest who administers the last rites. And a priest who buries you. But are people saved by that? Are people rescued from going to hell? Do they find eternal life? Do they have the power of God to live a new life? No. It's a form of religion, but with no power. The Roman Catholic religion and and the so-called high church Anglicanism, which is very closely associated, claims we are the ones of high worship. We are the ones with a high view of the church. We're high church. No, no, no. This isn't high church. It's no church. Because there's no gospel. There's, no, there's nothing, nothing. It's not built upon the solid, solid foundation of the gospel. But now let's apply it to ourselves. Sometimes we have, you have even, apparently evangelical churches... Bible-believing churches that don't actually preach the gospel. They try everything else to try and build up their numbers. Put on entertainment, put on clubs, put on social events, none of which are wrong in themselves, but never is the gospel proclaimed. Oh, we'll, we'll do mission by doing gardening. Well, it's wonderful you do gardening, but, but you need to tell people the gospel. No one's converted by you gardening their garden unless you tell them the gospel. And then thirdly, they pretended to be righteous 
when they were not righteous. Let's read the, the passage again. For verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. It is no surprise, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. See, says, Paul says they, 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 are, they are disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And he says, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You see, the devil himself is capable of presenting himself as an angel. So if even the devil can present himself as an angel and put on a very convincing display of being an angel, how much more can a false believer put on a front of being a true believer? A false teacher can put on a front of being a true teacher. Now, by the way, just just let me just say this. Let's just draw a a lesson from this thing that he says there about how the devil can disguise himself as an angel of light. And there's a straightforward application there, isn't there? Because there are some, some of these uh, claimed miracle healers talk openly about how an angel speaks, talks to them. And the angel says to them, oh, well, the so-and-so in the congregation, they've got this problem. They say it's an angel. And they, say, and they say, the angel says, oh, you need to go to this place and you need to do it. And they say, it's, they're claiming that some bright angel is saying this. Well, how do they know it's an angel and not an evil spirit? But also, um, it has to be said, doesn't it? I mean, you know, with, 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 our, with our Muslim friends, don't we? And, and I say this sometimes to my Muslim friends. I say, look, you, 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 you believe that Muhammad went into a cave and the angel Gabriel appeared to him and he, he revealed the Quran to him. But how do you know that it was the angel? It could have been the devil or an evil spirit because the Bible says that, that, that uh, the devil is quite capable of disguising himself as an angel of light. And Paul is saying here, look, if even the devil can, can disguise himself as an angel of light, it's no wonder then if the devil's servants can disguise themselves as the Lord's servants. And this echoes the teaching of Jesus, doesn't it? You remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verse 15. Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree 
tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Look at the fruit of these people. Look at their lives. Is it a coincidence that so many of these so-called healing evangelists have been implicated in money laundering scandals, visiting masseurs and getting up to all sorts of things, child abuse, adultery, greed, pride? Is it any surprise? And the fact that so many of these people are caught up in these scandals, I know that you do get some scandals among Bible-believing Christians, and it's very grievous, but not to such an extent, is it? Is it any surprise that the Roman Catholic religion is caught up in all sorts of scandals to do with child abuse and, and, and misuse of money and power and so on? These things should, should act as a, as, as a red flag for us. And we shouldn't be surprised if such people claim to do miracles. Because Jesus said that on the last day there will be people who will have done miracles. And he'll say to them, I never knew them. He goes on to say in verse 23 of Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty miracles in your name. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So these false teachers claim to be righteous. They claim to be born again. They claim to have the power of the Holy Spirit. But in fact, the reality is, you can tell from their lives, they don't. Now, again, should we not apply this to ourselves? Isn't there a warning in what Jesus says in those words that I read? There will be some on that day who will have been Members of Bible-believing, evangelical, reformed Baptist churches. Some who will have been pastors or deacons in such churches. And Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We need to examine our own hearts, don't we? You might say you believe in Christ, you might say you believe all the doctrines, but where's the evidence? Where's the fruit? Where's the proof? And we all need to search our own hearts, don't we? To see if, if our lives match our profession. Okay, so we've seen then three things about false teachers. False teachers falsely claim to have spiritual gifts. False teachers falsely claim to build the church. And false teachers 
falsely claim to be righteous. So what lessons can we take from this for ourselves? Well, first of all, as I've just said, we need to examine ourselves. And if there's any doubt at all as to whether you are a Christian, truly saved, go to the Lord. Even this morning, just say, Lord, if I've never been saved, today is the day I must be saved. Please save me. Secondly, we do need to be very careful about whom we listen to. You need to be very careful, as I said to you on previous occasion, I'll say it again now. Come such time as you'll need to find successors for me and for Ed, or people to work alongside us, you need to be very careful whom you choose. You need to pray for Ed and me that we will be faithful and not be false. And you need to be ready to pick up challenges if, you, if we see something false. Or if you see something that's not right in our lives. But also in these days of the internet, you need to be very, very, very careful whom you listen to. It's not just what they say, it's how they live that you need to look at. But then I also want to leave you with a message of hope as well. Because, uh, and I'll just turn you to this, the end, 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, page 1182. Just have a look at this with me, because it ties up with what we've been, just been saying. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, page 1182. Paul says, but understand this, in the last days there will be times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, loves of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and captured weak-willed women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Jans and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men of corrupted mind, corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. Now, but, verse 9, 2 Timothy 3, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as was of those two men. False teachers look like they're doing so well for a while. But eventually a scandal will break. Eventually a newspaper will get hold of their story. And eventually it will be over. So don't worry. God's in charge. He's building his church. And the true gospel will be vindicated. It's just a matter of time. So let us, you know, I don't want you to go away with very negative, gloomy thought, oh dear, it's all so terrible. No, because Christ is building his church and error will not prevail. Well, let's uh, sing our final hymn.
which um, picks up on that note of, of hope and the fact that the Lord Jesus is in charge of his church. Number 579, your hand, O Lord, has guided. 579.